0: Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Now we're on a current series right now talking about atmosphere. We've been talking about it for about the last eight weeks, and we've been Talking about this one big thought or this one idea about atmosphere, and I want to just define it for you once again. You've seen this over the last couple of weeks, but an atmosphere is defined as this, a pervading or surrounding influence, a general mood or an environment. I believe that God should be the one that is our surrounding influence in our lives. Not just when we come to church not just when we pray in the morning, but everywhere that we go all day long, seven days a week, twenty four hours a day, that God is our canopy, that god 's the one that dictates and helps us to have right moods and right thoughts and godly thoughts, that actually wherever we go, that we create an environment that 's healthy and that actually attracts people to the, to the Word of God and to a relationship with God simply because we 're the light of the world and so the Bible has a lot to talk about when it comes to this area of atmosphere. And every single one of you in this place today have an atmosphere about your life. There's an atmosphere about your marriage or your home, your workplace. As we come together as a church, there's a certain atmosphere that we have. And so we've been talking about this whole concept of atmosphere and how atmospheres are actually established. Now, atmospheres take a long time to be created. You have your certain beliefs, your convictions, your attitudes, your habits, your behaviors. All of those things over a period of time begin to create something in your life called an atmosphere or a mood. God's desire, again, is is that you fulfill the purposes of God for your life, that you walk in his will and his ways. And so we've got to change our beliefs. We've got to change our actions and our attitudes to line up with the word of God so that we might have a healthy, godly atmosphere. And three of the main components that we've been talking about as a church over the last seven or eight weeks is prayer, praise and power. And we've been talking about these three as main components or main keys that help establish a godly atmosphere in our life. And so we talked about prayer for a number of weeks of how prayer is the responsibility of every person. And the more that we pray, the more God comes into our life and changes our beliefs and our actions, ultimately changing our atmosphere, which ultimately changes our destiny. So prayer plays a key part in regards to changing the atmosphere in our lives. We also talked about worship, and over the last couple uh, weeks, actually four weeks, we've been talking about this whole concept of praise or worship, and that worship isn't defined by your experience, it's not defined by your tradition. It's not defined by your personality, but it's defined by the word of God. And God has some certain things that he wants to see in our worship that actually excite him and not only excite him, but help you to receive the presence of God upon your life. Regardless of how awkward it feels, we talked about raising of hands and the seven reasons why raising your hands has a divine connection with God. Last week, we talked about the sacrifice of praise, and we did that a few times once again during this service where we actually sung an unrehearsed, spontaneous word under the unction of the Holy Spirit, and we sung a song to God. Something happens when we do that. And so we've been talking about these areas of prayer and praise, two very important components. But it's important that we stop right now during this this series and talk about this one thought. Is that prayer and praise are not the end in which we seek. They're a means to an end. Prayer and praise are tools or vehicles that take us to a destination. And that destination is the presence of God. If all that we do is just sing songs and worship, but he never shows up and touches your life or invades your world, we've missed the whole point of worship. If all that we do is pray and we just pray some liturgical prayers, but we've never engaged with the living God, our prayers don't mean as much as if we've engaged with the presence of the living God. And there's a lot of different misnomers when it comes to the presence of God. Some people would define it as a a force or some kind of fog that hovers over people's lives or some kind of mystic feeling that you might feel. But the Bible has a lot to say about what the presence of God is. And we as a church have a firm conviction and a passion to make sure that every single person that attends this church, that's part of this family, has a personal realized encounter with the living God. And that your life's changed because you understand the presence of God and it operates every day in your life. And that's why our services, we work so hard to make sure that we're beginning to do things that attract God's presence. And this morning, many of you here probably felt the presence of God in our service, touching your life and encouraging you and making you feel better than when you came in. That wasn't just because you sung a song. It's because God was invading your world. And so we have this passion and hunger to see the presence of God in our lives and in our services and what have you. But I want to define for you this morning presence, if you will, and I want to start with a biblical view, and this is comprised of a lot of different other uh, biblical uh, illustrations and analogies and definitions, and it's all kind of summed up into one thought, boiled down to one simple statement so that we can get this. Presence of God is defined as this. It's God's face turned towards us in acceptance and favor. Now, to some of you, that might be a new thought, the thought that you would even think that God would even care to turn his face towards you and that when he turns his face towards you, it's not to put you down or to beat you up, but it's actually to show you his acceptance and favor to tell you that he loves you that he desires a relationship with you, that he desires to pour into your life and to meet every need of your life. Maybe you've been raised to where that's a hard concept. God's a, a, a judge kind of a God, and he kind of looks down at my life and gives me the do's and don'ts. The presence of God really can be boiled down to this, is God's living presence dwelling among us and dwelling in us. It's more than just him showing up and just seeing people around us being touched. But it's where we have a personalized encounter with God and we recognize that his glory is on our lives. I just I want to just stop for a second and ask you a question. Do you remember the very first time that you recognized and felt the presence of God in your life? Now, again, hopefully this is a lifestyle for you and maybe something that's in your life. But I can remember going back to August, late August of 1982. I was 22 years old. I wasn't living a very godly life. I was living a very wrong life. And I remember coming home from the bars that night. It was playing music. I was a musician. And I was pretty drunk and I was pretty strung out on some drugs. And I remember turning on the TV. It was just another... Normal, mundane, wrong day in the life of Mark Estes. And I remember turning on the TV and just kind of uh, surfing through the different, uh, you know, I Love Lucy's and Herman Munster shows and everything else. And I came to this one show and it was this wiry haired guy playing piano. And he's singing the song. You put this love in my heart. You put this love in my heart. You put this love in my heart. It was Keith Green. I didn't know at the time who Keith Green was or that he was a Christian. I just related to the guy because he was a musician and he was all over the place singing. And the more that he sang, the more something began to happen in my life. I couldn't even identify it, but I remember feeling something. I begin to feel conviction. He began to talk about this God. Again, God was just a passing thought for me and maybe some kind of passive belief that I'd have and something for weak people to do. But it's like all of a sudden out of nowhere, I begin to have this encounter with the living God. And I remember at the very end of this show, Keith Green said a few words. He said, no matter what you've ever done, and no matter what's going on in your life, he says, I want to let you know that God forgives you and God's favor is towards you. And at that point, I remember just feeling just, it was beyond emotion. I just felt this penetration into my heart and soul and begin to cry. And I remember going to bed as a little too embarrassed to cry out loud because I didn't want to wake up my wife, but she had been saved for a couple of months praying for me and I was married to conviction. But I just... I was laying in my bed just crying and I just, I felt the presence of God. Something coming in my life and begin to convict me and change me from the inside out. From 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I begin to just feel this thing on me. And at 6 a.m. there was a knock at the door and it was a drummer of the band I used to play with. The guy was an atheist actually. Still to this day is an atheist. And he said that an angel of the Lord woke him up and told him to tell me that if we didn't start serving him today, we'd never get another chance. And I remember that encounter. I changed forever. Those few hours with the king. I mean, I stopped. You need to understand my band was my God. And I came to a place where, I mean, instantly I stopped playing music with that group. I just turned my heart towards God and I, I needed to find out what this thing was all about. I was changed forever. And since that time, you know, I've had this, this hunger for the presence of God. I recognize as a high school dropout and not having a lot of education that I can't make it through another day unless he shows up in my life. The stuff that's in front of me is too complex, it's too fast, it's too detailed, it's too deep. Everything that we face, even as a staff, just every day, I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, God, I don't know what to do, but you do. And I need you to show up and help me because I can't walk out this door today unless you show up in my life. And that's where God wants every one of us to be. That's how you are actually designed to be, is dependent upon a living God. God's not looking in your life for a visitation. Maybe you're faithful at coming to church and you worship God and you feel his presence every week. And as you, and you say, well, that was awesome, man. I feel so good. See you next week, God. And then next week we do it over again. He doesn't want a visitation. He wants a habitation. He wants to dwell in us and among us And around us. He wants to let you know that he's not too busy. He's not too concerned. He's not too uh, with worldly affairs. But that he actually knows you. He knows your name. He knows all about your life. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to meet all your needs. He wants to help you succeed. That's the kind of God that we serve. But that revelation only comes when you're in his presence. And you can feel that God is with you. And I guess the key point that I'm trying to get this morning to you is this, as we've talked about atmosphere, is that the key to creating a godly atmosphere for your life is the presence of God. The end of the day when it's all said and done, what makes you who you're supposed to be in God is the presence of God. So that makes this particular component that we're talking about this morning pretty important to your life. In fact, if we miss this one point, we miss the whole thing. It's the presence of God. And so I want to talk this morning about the three different dimensions of presence so that we understand And I'll just spend a few minutes here and then I want to get to some personal application. But there's three dimensions of God's presence that we have to understand. The first is the omnipresence of God, God's omnipresence. And it's simply defined as God's presence everywhere in all of creation at all at one time. Now, that might be a little bit too difficult for your little mind to comprehend, but God is everywhere at all times. He rains down on the just and the unjust, whether people believe in him or not. He's still there. He's everywhere. And there are scriptures throughout the Bible that you read that talk about this concept of God being huge because they want you to see real, or the Bible wants you to see really how big God is and how r- little you really are so that you depend on him. And there's one scripture that actually talks about that God knows the number of hairs on your head. I mean, think about that. For some of you, there's millions. For me, there's four. And so that isn't a very, you know, comprehensive scripture for me. I'm just thinking, God, four, okay? Deep scripture. But there's one scripture that I really like, and it's in Psalms 147. It says this. It says that God created all the stars, and it says he knows them each by name. Now, if you can just get your mind around that, there's, there's supposedly, they're guesstimating somewhere around 200 billion galaxies, not stars, galaxies. And in those 200 billion galaxies, there's 50,000 billion billion stars. And that's just as far as they can see. I don't know if someone's you know, counted them, but 50,000 billion billion. That's one with 18 zeros. I mean, if you just get out your little calculator, it doesn't even go that far. It'll probably start smoking. It's 1,000 times, excuse me, 1 times thousand hundred billion equal a billion billion. And then you times that by 50,000 to get a 50,000 billion billion. And he says that he created them all and he knows every single one of them by name. No repeats. It's not like Bob and Bob. I mean, there's... Bob and Sob and Todd, I mean, they're all different names. 50,000 billion, billion of them. And he knows them all. He doesn't get mixed up. He knows where they're at. He knows them by name. He's everywhere. The second dimension is this, is God's manifest sovereign presence where God chooses to reveal himself sovereignly to people. He could show up in a service, which I believe he does. He can show up in different communities. He can show up in different nations. He could show up at your work. And throughout the Bible, you'll see that there are these scriptural scriptural accounts where God actually came down and showed up and changed situations simply by his presence. In the New Testament, there was a man named Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was in jail he had just been beaten he had chains on his uh, arms and legs and he's shackled in the inner uh, part of this jail and they just started singing at 11:59 they were chained but what caused everything to break off of them at midnight was the manifest presence of god they begin to sing they begin to praise presence of god came down not only were they set free but everyone in the jail was set free that's called manifest sovereign presence of god what about Joshua in the Old Testament? There was this guy named Joshua and he and a group of people begin, to children of Israel, begin to go around this city called Jericho and they were told to march around it for seven days. For six days they marched around the city and nothing happened. But on the seventh day, the walls fell flat. What was the difference between the sixth and the seventh? It wasn't because he ate Wheaties. It's simply because... God decided to show up and drop those walls flat. You read throughout the history books, different revivals that took place. The second great awakening, a couple different accounts where the different sailors would come in off the boats into the Boston Harbor. And as soon as they'd put their foot on the dock, they would fall into the presence of God and repent and get saved right there on the dock without anybody preaching or anything. The presence was so thick. It was like a divine radiation zone. I remember reading one account where this one boy in a classroom was fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He left the classroom, went outside the door, and went out into the playground and began to pray. Kids inside were wondering what they did. Three or four of them went out, fell under the presence of God. They began to pray. The whole classroom ended up. Everybody in the school wondering what's going on. They went out. The whole school got saved and began to pray and fall into the presence of God, which created a big revival in that school for weeks to come. God just showed up. You might remember just a few years ago, there was a revival taking place in Pensacola, Florida. It was called the Brownsville revival. People were flying from all over the world. Unsaved people driving across the nation and flying from all over the world to stand in line to get saved. Hey, no cuts. I was here first. And they're, they're, they're waiting in line to get saved for hours in the heat. Just Hours fighting. Hey, I want to get in. I want to get in. They didn't even know why. Hundreds of thousands of people went forward to those altars at Brownsville. One of the most coolest stories that I've heard recently, I just watched a documentary on this. It happened in Alamo, Alamalongo, uh, Guatemala, and it was a town of about 19,000 people. Most of them unchurched, unsaved, high crime high unemployment, they had a bunch of jails, had a bunch of bars. Any Christians were stoned, they were ran out of town, they burned the churches. But something happened. God showed up all of a sudden and people started to get saved. And more people got saved. And today, 8 out of 10, 16,000 of the 19,000 people in that city are born-again Christians. They just recently shut the last jail. The police officers have no jobs because there's no crime. There is no bars. There are no jails in that city. Every street has been converted to a Christian name. And it's such a a phenomenal thing that's happening there. And again, I don't know how to describe, you know, uh, define this or, or give reason to it other than just the presence of God is blessing these people in such every area that is touching every aspect of their life. That their agriculture is beginning to grow like never before. They used to drive out or export four truckloads of veggies a week. They're now taking out 40 truckloads a day. They, they, you can see pictures of it. There's carrots as big as my whole arm that are growing in half the time as a regular carrot. Beats the size of bowling balls. You say, oh, that can't happen. It's too late. It already happened. You can't change it. It's happening. <laughs> Go look it up yourself. You can't change that. And all of the people from all over the world are wondering what the miracle grow is in the soil. And they're flying in all these agricultural uh, specialists. And they're saying, what are you doing? What's in the dirt? And the people are going, "Wow, well, sir, you don't understand. It's just the presence of God. It's just God's touching our dirt. Everything's growing. Everything's happening. You figure it out. Manifest presence of God. He decided to show up upon a city to touch lives. All of those are great stories, but it's not enough. Really what every single one of you should be after, including myself, is this next one. And that's the felt realized personal presence of God. Where God becomes real to you. Where you understand what it means to come underneath his presence. Just like that city was changed, your life is changed. And every time you get there, you are so passionate about it and so hungry for it. And you are so touched by it that you can't keep out of the presence of God. To where you walk around with this vivid living presence in every aspect of your life, every single day of your life. And that really is the ultimate goal of what God wants to see in our life. And we've got to come to this place where we recognize that we have a desperate need for his presence in our life. And scripture, if you look throughout scripture, you'll find there's story after story of people that modeled for us to see so that we wouldn't make the same mistakes. That if you simply just put him first and seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. It's there for our understanding and for our observation. So we say, we're not going to make the same mistakes. We got to see that these people that sought God and made it their passionate pursuit every day live changed, victorious lives. One of the guys in the Bible that I really like to read about is Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. They're called the Pentateuch. And this guy, Moses, wrote these first five books. And one of the reoccurring themes that you can see throughout these five books is this one statement. It shows up actually 109 times. I counted them the other day. It says this, then the Lord spoke to Moses. How many like God to constantly speak to you? Where you could say, wow, well, what happened to you? Well, Lord spoke to me today about this. Well, Lord spoke to me about, this. yeah, I was at lunch and Lord spoke to me and I was on my way home. Lord spoke to me and I spoke to him and he called me his friend in favor and gave me some direction for my life. <laughs> I'm just so happy and fulfilled because man, God's just speaking to me all the time. Come on, There's two of you. Awesome. I'm gonna raise my hand for myself. Come on. I want that in my life. And so when you, look at the, when you look at these five books, the book of Exodus, there's these two chapters that are kind of in the midst of this journey of the children of Israel and Moses. Chapter 33 and 34 is really a snapshot into this personal journal where Moses begins to write these thoughts and ideas and experiences of the presence of God. And he has this encounter with God and he he begins to write down about what God was saying to him and what he said to God and how he begin to feel and what begin to happen as a result of this. And he writes it all down in these two chapters. And right in the middle of these two chapters is this benchmark scripture. And I want to read it to you this this morning. And it's at verses 14 and 16, which is kind of a, a key point that we're going to get this morning here. And it says this, and he said, being God, said this to Moses, my presence will go with you. That is a comforting thought to know that wherever you go, whatever you're going to face, no matter how big your trial is, no matter how far out your circumstance may be, that his presence will go with you. Wherever you're at, not that's where you'll be, but that's where he'll be. He'll be there with you. God's comforting Moses to let him know, listen, I understand what you've gone through. I understand what you're going to face in the days to come. But just rest assured to know the fact that I will be with you. And I'll give you rest. And Moses says back to him, he says, then he said to him, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't bring me up from here. He says, I've done this long enough to know God. If you just don't show up in my life today, if you, if you don't come down to my circumstance and my world right here, right now, I'm going to stay here because I can't do it without you. And I don't know to be real honest with you if a lot of us are at that point in our lives. I've got to daily get myself to that point to remind myself that that's where I should be, even though, to be honest, I don't live there all the time. But Moses shows us these four simple thoughts that have to be kind of like the, the legs do our chair, the foundation stones where we sit our life. He gives us these four truths that you've got to have in your life. The first one is this, is that you can do nothing without him. In Exodus Thirty three fourteen. 14, it says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us from here. Moses recognized that it was God that directed his steps. I mean, you just kind of rewind it real fast and go back in his life. And you, you see a guy that's told by God, by the way, in the presence of God told to go to the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, and tell him to let my people go. The children of Israel were in bondage. And they were working for the Pharaoh, making bricks. And so here's Moses in a robe and a stick in his hand, is told to go tell a guy that has thousands of chariots and hundreds of thousands of warriors. Imagine it. He shows up and he looks at, Mo, he looks at Pharaoh with a stick in his hand and says, "Ah, let my people go. <laughs> And I'm sure Pharaoh's going, oh man, what's with the stick and the robe? I mean, come on, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you got a stick and a robe, let my people go. What, what's wrong with you? He knew he didn't have anything to do with it. He knew that it was only God that would work on his behalf. He gets out into the wilderness and all of a sudden millions of people begin whining and crying because they don't have any water. And they're all just leeks and onions and man, I want to go back. They're whining. And so he calls out to God. He knows he can't take care of their water needs. Do you know that the children of Israel, in order to take care of one day of water for them, just to be able to drink, to wash their face and maybe cook something you would need 18 million gallons of water a day. Now, let that just kind of hit your mind a little bit when it says, and then Moses struck the rock and the water came out. It wasn't like, all right, quick, get a little cup here. 18 million gallons. There's a lot of water. He didn't have anything to do with it. Hey guys, look look what I can do here. Got my stick. Tap, tap, tap. (laughs) Tap. didn't have anything to do with it. The sooner that we can get to the place in our lives where we realize, you know what? Dust in the wind. Can't do anything without him. You can do a lot of things without him that aren't good, but you're never going to do of anything of value without God in your life. Jesus said it best. He said, without me, you can do nothing, but with me, God, all things are possible. Let me just encourage you this morning, wherever you're at in your walk with God. Maybe you're just a seeker here this morning. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. I think that it's important that we commit ourselves to recognize that he's God and we're not. He's in charge and we're not. And the sooner that we get that piece together, the better off we're going to be in seeing the blessings of God put into our life. I hear an amen. The second thing that we begin to see with him is that seeking his presence must become a lifestyle. Now, let me make a statement here, and I hope you get this. The level of commitment to this point, number two, is directly proportionate to the revelation that you have of number one. Did you hear me? Your commitment to making the presence of God, your passionate pursuit every day of your life is directly dependent upon the fact if you understand, number one. And a lot of people today that don't make seeking his presence a lifestyle is because they don't understand that you can't do anything without him. And the more that you can understand and have a revelation for number one, that God, I need you to show up in my life, I really need you to help me, is the more that you begin to seek him every day to say, God, you've got to help me today. We've got to make it his li- a lifestyle. Moses said the same thing. It was in Exodus 33, 7. It says, it was Moses' custom to set up the tent as the tent of meeting. He would set a tent up, and that was kind of his prayer closet. and He would go in there, and it says it was his custom, his habit, his lifestyle to go in and to seek the face of God. The third thing the third thing that we need to seek is this, is that his presence is a personalized individual encounter and responsibility. It says, whenever Moses went into the tent, Exodus 33, eight, Moses had to go seek God for Moses. He didn't send Aaron in to seek God for him. He went in himself. And I want to encourage you this morning that your spouse can't seek God for you. The worship band can't do it for you. The pastor can't do it for you. You've got to do it for yourself. You've got to recognize you can't do it without him, that you desperately need him in your life. You've got to make it a lifestyle. And it's you that has to go after it and make it your lifestyle and make it your responsibility. And then the fourth thing, which is pretty important too, is that you seek his presence Until you're in his presence. It's not the pursuit of it that matters. It's actually when you get there. You know, I don't know about you and what your personal uh, devotional life looks like. But for me, I I understand this principle. It's at least one of the few things I understand in life is that if God doesn't help me, I'm going to just be a bumbling fool. And so when I go to pray in the morning... I make sure that I engage with him. I'm not interested necessarily in how many minutes I pray, although I want to pray lots of minutes because I like to hang out with him. But the key thing is this. The quality of my devotions is dependent upon whether his presence shows up or not. And there might be times like this morning, it was early this morning and I got up and I went upstairs and sat down on the couch and began to pray. And it took probably 15, 20 minutes of just singing a song and lifting my hands and speaking in tongues and everything else just to finally feel like the fog was gone enough where I felt like he was there. Now, he was there the whole time. I was just fogged out. And so it took me a while just to get unfogged and say, God, I love you. Jesus, I praise your name. Lord, God, come and touch me today. God, I just seek your face today. God, you're a good God. And sometimes it takes a long time. And then all of a sudden you just feel like, oh, wow, he's there. Have you ever felt like all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, they're in the room. I mean, he's in the room. He's touching me. He's feeling me. He's not around me. He's in me. I, I feel his pervading presence all over my life. Seek them until you find and get into his presence. Now, I promise you, if you can do these four things, just recognize these, recognize these foundation truths and get them in your life. I believe that everything that you desire in a relationship with him and in your walk with God and in life in general will be a whole lot better. In fact, as you go back into his little prayer journal, Exodus 33 and 34, and begin to look at some of the principles, you'll find out there's some key benefits that are there for you and for me if we apply these to our lives. And I, again, I'm not going to have time to go through all 12 of them. I'm going to mention them so you can at least write them down or whatever it might be. But let me go through a couple of them in detail, at least. Here's the first benefit. This is this, is that you get to meet with the living God. That should be one of the most incredible revelations that you've ever heard in your life. And not one person said amen. You get to meet with the living God. I mean, the creator of this universe, I mean, God, King of kings, Lord of lords, anytime you desire to meet with him, he says, here I am. Boom. And he's right there. He wants to meet with you. You get to meet with the living God. That's a powerful thought. And in this particular scripture, as we read it, uh, Exodus thirty-three eighteen, it says, please let me see your presence. This is Moses crying out to God. There's many things that Moses would ask for in his life. But the one thing that you see him constantly pursuing is this relationship with God. He knew if I could just be with him, everything else would be taken care of. It's like Jesus said, hey, take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow going to take care of itself. Take care of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. So take care of you. You get to meet with a living God. One of the dangers, you know, that we make when we get into our prayer times or seeking God during worship is we are always pursuing it for what we get out of it. And really, that's a dysfunctional relationship to a certain extent. Now, again, God is, doesn't really need necessarily anything from us. And yes, we're supposed to ask of God and he will give us all of our needs according to his riches and glory. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given. But do you ever just get to a place where you just pray because you want to be with him? It's not like, oh, Lord, Jesus, today I love you and just got about five minutes. But, God, Jesus, I thank you for this day. And I just pray today, God, you're going to help me, God. I just need more money. Of course, Jesus, coming, bless me and fill my account. God, today I need a job and give me better wages and a raise and I'd sure like to be the boss. And, Lord, I just pray for my kids. And we go through and just give our little list. and Jesus, amen, amen. And he just goes, wow, that was deep. <laughs> it was really, man, real intimate here, Mark. Wow. Do you ever just sit there and you just want to be with him? Not for what he can do for you, but just because of who he is. You know, my relationship with my wife, I love my wife with all of my heart. We've been married almost 28 years now. And we just like to hang out together. I mean, she's my best friend. I, I, there can be times where we drive down the road for a half hour and never say a word. It's not like, oh, wow, that's a ripping relationship. I don't care if we're talking or not talking, whether we're laughing or not laughing. or what. I just like to be with her. I just like to be with her because of who she is, not what I just get out of a relationship. And that's what God's looking for. That's what Moses says. He says, Lord, let your glorious presence be with me. Do you see God that way in your life? Maybe it's one of those things that you just have to recommit yourself to say, God, you know what? I got to come to the place where I'm excited to meet with you. You ever meet someone that was famous and be excited about it? Anybody at all? You met so how many met someone famous in the last month? And I mean you talk to everybody about it, you go, wow. Not many famous people in Portland. I see about two hands. Okay. You know, we we meet someone and we get so excited to talk to them about this relationship that we just or this encounter that we had. So it's just like, you know, I, I just met them. Um, Bruce Willis. Oh my gosh, you should have seen it. Honey, I met Bruce Willis. And man, we look so much alike and stuff. We got the cool hairdo and the nice body and stuff. And we're all tough and mean. And man, it was just awesome. He called Mark. He said, Mark. And man, it just, he, he remembered my name. Oh, it's so awesome. You should have seen it. We, he lifted his hand and I lifted my hand. And it was kind of like one. And we we're just like this. Man, you should have seen it. It was awesome. Oh, it was awesome. When when was the last time you were excited about meeting with God where you told everybody about it? Hey, you know who I met today? I met with God. That was so awesome, man. He told me he loved me. He told me that he just wanted to come and touch and fill my life today. He told me he's taking care of all my... Well, I got to meet with God today. Woo! And everybody goes, wow, you're, that's kind of, wow. You get, to meet with a living God. Your prayer time. Your worship should never be a have to. It should be a want to. The second benefit that you get is this. Is that God actually meets with you. Not only do you get to meet with him. But he comes and meets with you. And that's just a mind-boggling thought. That out of six billion people. any time that you desire to call. He shows up. He wants to love you, he wants to encourage you, he wants to meet all of your needs, he wants to strengthen you. You'll find as we look through a couple of these things here just quickly that God desires to bring lots of things into your life. The third benefit is this, is that you're reminded of who he is and who you aren't. You get that? You're reminded of who he is and who you aren't. I need that help every day of my life to realize, listen, without him, I can do nothing. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I can do all things, but it's through Christ that strengthens me. And you can always tell a person's relationship with God based on how much they're stuck on themselves. The more that someone has a relationship with God, the more they realize they have nothing to do with it. And the more that God can work in them and through them. And oftentimes, again, that's one of the cool things about the presence of God. It might hurt you a little bit to find out that you're just not Mr. Big Stuff. But you find out that, you know what, God's in charge and he's really the one that makes you who you are. And the reason you're blessed isn't because you're just some great business guy. It's the favor of God upon your life. That's just a healthy place to be to realize who we are and who he isn't. Excuse me, who he is and who we aren't. Let me just give you a couple other ones and then we'll go ahead and close today. You receive clear direction for your life. When you get into the presence of God, Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. 13, Moses calls out and he says, show me your intention so I will understand you more fully and do exactly what you want me to do. Sometimes we're scared to ask because we're afraid of what we might hear. But you'll find that if you get into the presence of God and you ask Him and allow Him to speak into your life, you'll never make a wrong mistake if it's given to you a direct word of God in in that particular time of of being in His presence. We see it all the time where people make a wrong relationship, a, a priority in their life, and they won't listen and they go off and just... Be with someone they probably shouldn't have been with. It's kind of the oops factor. Or make a business deal, a wrong finance decision, or take a wrong job, or say, well, I really feel like I'm supposed to move, and they move only to come back and say, I lost everything. God wants to direct our steps. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. And let me just give you the last one here. There's probably seven or eight we're not going to have time for, but um, I'll I'll just give you them real quickly so you can write them down here real quickly. Um, Next one is this. Uh, you're refreshed. How many need refreshing? Come on, you can go any time into the presence of God. It says in Exodus thirty-three fourteen, Moses says, "I'll give you rest." There's rest that's available. The next one is that you receive comfort and hope. You might be discouraged. You might be depressed. We talked earlier today in in our our prayed earlier today in the service just for people to be touched with God's hope and peace in their life. Well, in his presence, we can exchange ashes for beauty and mourning for dancing. And there's comfort and hope that come as we get into his presence and realize that he really does care for us and he's going to take care of our needs. The next one is this. You're reminded of all of his goodness. There are thousands of things that God has promised you and oftentimes we forget about them and God wants you to know simply to go to his word, read them, pray through them and get them back into your life and your spirit. God wants you to remind you of all of his goodness. Here's another one. You find mercy, grace and forgiveness. We counsel people all the time that have been stuck for years in past sins and problems. They can't go into their future because they're still stuck in their past. But I believe something happens. You know, my life personally, you know, I'd still be in jail for all the stuff that I committed before I was a Christian, but something happened when God showed up in my life. I truly felt the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. It was wiped clean. Behold, you're a new creation. All things create creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. They're gone. They're washed. They're forgotten. You find that in the presence of God. Here's a couple other last ones. You are empowered by his supernatural strength. God will come and strengthen you in times of weakness. Here's the next one. You are protected from your enemies. Whether that's physical or spiritual, God will come down and touch you at that place and protect you. You're reminded of his passionate love for you. There's a lot of people today that don't think God loves them. Fall into his presence and let him sing a love song to you. And then here's the most important one when you're in his presence, you're forever changed. You're forever changed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy I was yesterday. I thank God for what he's done in my life up until this point, but I've got a long ways to go. And I know the only way that I'm going to change where God wants to take me is the presence of God.